Um, but this is a first, because this is the first time I've preached in front of a son-in-law. <laughs> Goodness knows how that's going to go. So uh, there we go. Um, let's turn to God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 1. One Timothy one. I'm going to read verses twelve to seventeen. One Timothy one verse twelve. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to His service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy, because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. There is an old Jewish story about Abraham. I don't suppose it's true, but it's a good story. He gives hospitality to a passing stranger. This is an old man, weary with age. And Abraham washed his feet and gave him food and drink. But when the man began eating without praying first, Abraham was rather shocked. He said to him, don't you worship God? No, he replied. I worship fire only. This made Abraham so angry that he grabbed the old man and threw him out. Later, God asked Abraham why he'd done that. Well, he showed no respect for you, replied Abraham. Ah, said God, I've suffered him these 80 years, although he dishonors me. Could you not endure him one night? Now, this morning, I'm looking at just one phrase, verse 16, Christ's immense patience, and that will uh, lead us elsewhere as we consider, if you like, you can say, I am springboarding off this uh, phrase. That's all right, I don't mind a bit of springboarding, because I know that your solid diet here will be uh, solid expositionary preaching from uh, Richard and others, and uh, so that's all right. We can do a bit of springboarding from that. Uh, That word translated uh, immense there, it means whole or complete, and different different versions translate it differently. The ESV goes for perfect patience. Uh, The uh, AV, the authorized version, has all forbearance. Uh, The older NIV went for unlimited patience, And the Christian Standard Version, which is a version I've got to know a little over the last few years and quite like it, it renders it his extraordinary patience. Now, I'm not saying that's the best translation. 
but I'm saying that's the one that caught my imagination most. His extraordinary patience. That resonates with me. The extraordinary patience of Christ. Because his patience is extraordinary, isn't it? This is Paul talking. This is Paul. And his whole point is that God has saved him. Him, the chief of sinners, as he refers to himself. In order to demonstrate this extraordinary, immense patience to the world. Saul of Tarsus, that fiery, fanatical young Pharisee who was absolutely convinced that Jesus was a believer. Now in our youth, we do become absolutely convinced of things that as we get older, we perhaps think, oh, well, perhaps I'm not so sure about that now. He was absolutely convinced that he was right about this. And this led him to violent, life-destroying consequences. Looking on with approval at the stoning of Stephen. Do you remember that in Acts? Breathing out murderous threats against the disciples. By his own admission in Galatians, he says it in Galatians 1 verse 13, he says he was intent on destroying the church. What an astonishing thing. You remember Jesus' words to him, the risen Lord Jesus when you met him on the Damascus road. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Not why are you persecuting my church. Why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus stood in absolute solidarity with his people. Imagine how angry that must have made God to have this man go after these people he loved so much. Imagine how angry that must have made God. But did he give Saul what he deserved? Did he wipe him out? No, he didn't. Not at all. He, instead of that, he set his love on him. He showed him mercy. He poured out his grace upon him. Why did he do that? Well, Paul says, to show that he can save the worst of sinners. To demonstrate this extraordinary patience to the world. Well, God was extraordinarily patient towards Paul. And I have to tell you that God has been extraordinarily patient towards me. He really has. I've not gone round uh, persecuting the church. But I do know the stubbornness of my own heart. And that's despite all the wonderful examples, advantages I've had. And I've had many. I grew up in a, a, a zealous Christian family who not only loved me, but loved the Lord and gave me that example. I've had so much encouragement, so much investment from others over the years. I've had so many people praying for me. Yes, I profess Christ at an early age, but still I know the times and the areas of my life in which I have stubbornly resisted his lordship. He has been extraordinarily patient with me. Times when I've just not learned my lesson. When I've not followed his prompting, obviously. Honestly, that's a really sad thing when he prompts us and we, we live with it for a while and then it just dies down and we don't do anything about it. That's happened so often in my life. 
times when my pride has refused to bend, to bow in submission to him. There have been plenty of times like that. Actually, if I'm honest, one main area of his extraordinary patience to me has been with regard to my extraordinary impatience (laughs) with those around me. And indeed, even with myself from time to time. And so, this verse, this phrase, the extraordinary patience of Christ, it really strikes home to me. It is remarkable. And we're called to imitate him in this. Uh, Ephesians 4, for instance, and uh, we're going to go through quite a few passages, so uh, feel free to look up or just listen, that's up to you. Ephesians 4, Paul says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, this is interesting to me, this verse. Be, um, be patient. Uh, be, um, because of uh, the context of this letter. What Paul is trying to express in the whole of this letter to Ephesians. Uh, a few verses before, just in chapter 3, he has said this. This is an ast- astonishing couple of verses. In verses 9 and 10, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Uh, um, he talks about being the less of, lesser than the least of all God's people. Grace was given to me to preach the, to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden, hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what he's saying there is that through the church, God is going to demonstrate to the powers and principalities of the cosmos his mystery, his purpose the mystery of his will, to achieve his purposes. And what is that purpose? Well, we'll see in a minute. But what extraordinary significance this gives us. We are God's means to demonstrate his wisdom, that God is wise enough to achieve his purposes. We, the church, are God's means of doing that. Now, that's astonishing. Paul says that shouldn't make us proud. He says that should make us completely humble and gentle and patient with one another. That's what he says just after these verses. That's amazing. But let's look back further, because what is his purpose? What is the wisdom, his wisdom to achieve the purpose? What is the purpose? Well, he tells us back in chapter 1, if you can stay with me here. uh, Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This is God's great purpose. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring all things together under the headship of Christ, the older NIV says, something like that. That's his great purpose, to bring all things together under Christ. 
Now, that's his great purpose. That's what he's demonstrating through the church, that he can bring all things together under Christ. Sin has separated everything, has driven great fissures between people, between us and God and between us and everyone else. That's what sin does. Sin divides. In Christ, uh, God's plan is to bring things together again. And that's what he's doing. And that's what he's demonstrating through the church. The great purpose to unite all things in Christ demonstrated through the church. That is staggering. But just think about that for a moment. Think about what you know about the history of the church. Think about all the divisions and the schisms and the failings and the error that church history is absolutely riddled with. And doesn't that throw up this question? How can such a church as this possibly demonstrate God's purpose to unite all things in Christ. Isn't actually the church a really bad example of that? Given all those divisions and all the rest of it, all the fallings out. But you see, this is like Paul's story writ large. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. And here, it's like God has taken the most hopeless basket case of division and strife and in his patience. He's working to show that even through us, the church, he can do this. Now that is astonishing. That is extraordinary. So here's the thing. (laughs) If God can be patient with the church, surely I can be patient with my fellow believers. While so often I'm not, so often I write people off, so often I concentrate on their negatives whilst ignoring their positives. I am so quick to take offense often. You know, those annoying emails that fly in, so quick to fire off an exasperated response. Hidden, not that hidden, laced with passive aggression. Emails I have learned, and maybe you two have not best, best not fired off in the heat of the moment, are they? Best, even if you write them, to take a moment, leave them overnight and come back to them. Because someone has said, insults and offenses are like mud. They brush off much better when given time to dry. I think that's right. So how will my attitude change towards my fellow believers? Well, maybe by gazing more and more on the extraordinary patience of the Lord. If I can concentrate on him, if I can fill my mind and heart with his example. How patient Jesus was with those silly disciples. You know, those times they just completely misunderstood him. Of course, we would be no better if we were in their shoes. Remember how when Jesus was setting his face towards the greatest act of self-sacrifice ever, there were the disciples squabbling about which of them was the greatest, like little kids. His patience with Peter's treacherous denials. 
with Thomas's doubts. We could go on. Let me gaze on his example and let me encourage you to do the same and pray for him to reproduce that in me, in us, as we are called to be patient with one another. Humility is, uh, is a key word here, I think. I think we've had that. And I'm really interested to hear that that came up in the prayer, didn't it? Your members, members' covenant, which seems a great thing to have. Um, uh, you prayed about humility there, but we had that in Ephesians 4. Um, be completely humble and uh, gentle. Be patient. So if we're going to be... Um, if we're going to be patient, we have to be humble. And uh, we have that again in Colossians 2. Uh, Colossians 2. Um, sorry, Colossians 3, 11 and 12. Uh, Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. I don't know if it's significant that humility is right in the middle of that group. seems to me that if you're going to be compassionate and kind and gentle and patient, you do have to be humble. You do have to not think of yourself as the most important person. You have to think of other people's interests as higher than your own if you're going to do those things. I think that's, I think that's right. So humility is key. It's when we don't see ourselves as better or more important than others that we are less dismissive, than we are more patient towards them. So let's pray for greater humility so that we bear with one another and so that we don't jump on other people's weaknesses whilst ignoring our own. That's what proud people do, isn't it? And patience with each other as we help each other to grow. I'm a I know I'm not the only fan here of the Rest is History podcast. I don't know who listens to those with uh, Tom Holland and Dominic Sandbrook. Uh, they're great. But from those, I learned this, this about this man uh, last week. I learned about Admiral Collingwood. He was a great naval commander during Nelson's time, the Napoleonic Wars. He was with Nelson in Trafalgar. And uh, Collingwood had a dog called Bounce, which is extraordinary in itself. Uh, but when he was back on dry land, Collingwood would take his dog Bounce for a walk and he would fill a bag with acorns and everywhere he went, he would plant acorns. And the reason for that was very simple. He was a naval commander. He knew the importance of ships, warships in particular, and he knew that at that time to build ships, you need oaks. So he planted his acorns. I mean, I guess, you know, he wasn't so far-sighted as to dream about iron and steel and that sort of thing. But what vision to plant oaks that would, uh, plant acorns that would grow into oaks to be used in battle. Now we need, we need mighty oaks as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the next generation. And the generation after that needs oaks. Who is going to plant the acorns? You and me have to do that. And I hope as we do so, we pray that that generation will be far stronger for the Lord, far more godly, far more on fire for Christ than our generation is, than my generation is. 
We have to have that vision. But that takes patience, just as for Collingwood, that took patience. To plant an acorn and to water it, to encourage it, to nurture it. Patience is needed. Jesus showed great patience to those who didn't follow him too. Do you remember uh, Luke 9 when uh, the people in the Samaritan village didn't want anything to do with them, didn't welcome Jesus? And James and John, the sons of thunder, wanted to call down fire. And Jesus rebuked them. Well, we get frustrated too, don't we? Because, you know, why can't people see and turn? Why are they just not interested? You know, a man rose from the dead. They don't even care. It's astonishing. We pray for them for a while, but we give up so easily. We are not patient. Or we are impatient with those who drift away, which sadly happens all too often. Patience goes on praying. Patience goes on reaching out in love. You know, God is far more patient than I am with those who pour scorn on him. There's a a famous Victorian atheist called Charles Bradley who would give uh, lectures on atheism all over the country. And at the end of the lecture, he'd take out a stopwatch and he'd challenge God. If you exist, smite me dead in the next minute. He would start his stopwatch until the 60 seconds had passed. And then he'd say to his audience, what sort of God is one that can't strike me down for my anti-God beliefs? What sort of God is it? (laughs) Why didn't God smite him down? Because he is a patient God. He is so patient. Patience with the world. You know, it's interesting. And this will make my family laugh, I know. It's interesting that just a few verses later in 1 Timothy, uh, we have, uh, at the start of chapter 2, we have that exhortation to pray. Um, Pray for those in power. I urge them, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Um, World leaders. World leaders and the world of politics fills us with despair often, doesn't it? Now, I I have strong views on these sorts of things. I am impatient on these sorts of things. We need patience. We need patience to go on praying for this world, and in particular, its leaders. Actually, praying for these leaders more would maybe let us, uh, help us get less angry and frustrated and more patient. We read about the uh, wheat and the weeds in Matthew 13. Uh, the world is full of both wheat and weeds. Uh, the enemy has sowed weeds in the fields of wheat. Both grow up together. That's a picture of the world Uh, The wheat is uh, the believers, but it can also, you know, it's the kingdom of God growing in all kinds of ways. The wheat is the evil one who sowed all kinds of other things. 
And the question is asked, shall we pull up the weeds? And the farmer replies, no, let them grow together. We'll separate them out at harvest time. So the world is full of wheat and weeds. Evidence of God's growing kingdom is there. It is. And perhaps we need to go outside of our shores to see it. But it is absolutely there. God's kingdom is growing. That's amazing. But alongside that, there is plenty of evidence of the enemy's work. There are weeds. There's discord. There's evil. Some people think the world is getting worse and worse. I think there are things that are definitely getting worse. But there are things in my lifetime that actually have got better. And if you want to know what they are, you can ask me afterwards, but I'm sure you can think of some too. Uh, I've got a friend whose daughter is a, works in the civil service. Uh, she's in the Department for Business and International Trade. I think that's what it's called now. It's just had a name change. Uh, but she is doing key work on the government's economic crime bill. I don't know if you know about this. I think it's now in the law. It's being scrutinized. But this is about working hard to produce effective legislation that will combat the tendency for our country to become the world's laundromat for the ill-gotten gains of international criminals, which is what, is what we're becoming. Hugely so. And so they've recognized this. They want to do something about that to make it harder for people just to bring their money here and wash it clean. Uh, That is a good thing to work for. And there are people in government working hard day by day to do that. But we don't see it. We don't hear a lot about it. It's difficult work. They will get some things right. They will probably get other things wrong. That's the nature of it. But it's good that it's happening. Whatever else you think of government, pray for that sort of thing, because that's good. Wheat and weeds. Do you get to vote in local elections this week here? Um, we do. Yeah. We do. And please don't tell me nobody knows. We do that in uh, Reading, for sure, or in, uh, in our uh, area, for sure. Um, elections, what do we make of those? Political campaigns. The trouble is everything gets, you know, um, uh, polarized, doesn't it? A party either has to be completely right or completely wrong. Well, life is not like that. Christian voters will have to decide on balance where there is more wheat and where there is fewer weeds. Not what is absolutely pure and what isn't. We don't get that choice. Where there is more wheat, where there is fewer weeds. We will disagree about that and that's okay too. But we should evaluate that with patience as we remind ourselves of how patient God is with all the weeds. He will deal with them. But there will be a harvest. There will be judgment, and there will be a harvest. That was in the parable, isn't it? And it's in in, uh, 2 Peter 3, 9 also we read. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, the question people ask, why does a God of all-powerful God of love not do something about this dreadful world with all this suffering? Part of the answer to that is actually, he is a God of patience. And actually, if he took action on all of those things right now, it would be over for many people with whom he is being patient. And we should remember that. He goes on. Uh, Peter goes on, he will come, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
So we're to be patient with each other, patient towards unbelievers, patient towards the world, and finally, patient with our lot. Think of Jesus in the 30 or so years before his ministry began. He was living in obscurity, growing up in that small one-donkey town, working, we presume, alongside his father, learning the carpentry trade. He who built the starry skies, learning how to make a good furniture joint. It's astonishing. Maybe we are being called, as individuals, to be patient in obscurity. Maybe that's how you feel about your life. You just feel obscure, not being noticed. You may feel you're not doing anything important. Or maybe you feel you're not able to move on with your life in the way you see other people doing. Well, maybe this is what you're being called to right now. Patience in obscurity. You face frustrations. Job opportunities are not opening up. Or or a relationship you long for is just not happening. Or just everyone else's life seems to be moving on and yours isn't. You feel stuck in a rut. Maybe the Lord is wanting you to develop patience in obscurity. Seek him in prayer about that. And I'm sure there are those in this fellowship, as in ours, who are being called to patience in affliction right now. That's what Paul urges us to in Romans 12. Be patient in affliction, in suffering, bearing up under trials of poor health, or maybe financial uncertainty, pain, or illness, or just growing old. We have to be patient as we grow old. The Lord of extraordinary patience is with you in those trials. He is. He's there with you. He calls you to persevere, to go on holding on to him as you call out to him. For healing, yes. For deliverance, for daily help, so that you too can demonstrate his perfect patience, his extraordinary patience in your life. To demonstrate that to the world, that is an extraordinary thought. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much with your patience with us. It is remarkable. Thank you that you go on loving us. You go on extending your grace and mercy to us. Lord, if there are particular people here for whom, uh, Lord, in our hearts we are just turning away or stepping in the wrong direction, please, Lord, as we think of your patience, help us to turn. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to reproduce this patience in our hearts too. Lord, we want to demonstrate this to the world. Help us to do that by your Spirit. 